Hey, grab your Bibles, open them to the book of Acts chapter 4 as we continue our series in the book of Acts. I'm reading from the book of Acts chapter 4 beginning in verse 23 from the New King James Version of the Bible. And the Bible reads, And being let go, that's Peter and John, they went to their own companions and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they, the companions, had heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants with all boldness that they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Today, I want to talk to you about the discipline of dependence. And let me set the stage for you this morning by sharing with you a powerful thought from a very popular Christian author by the name of Henry Cloud. When he says something like this, in the natural life, we mature as we grow more independent. But in the spiritual life, we mature as we grow more dependent. Prior to our passage here in Acts chapter 4, verse 23, Peter and John had accomplished a great deal. At Pentecost, Peter had preached a sermon where he had baptized over 3,000 people. John and Peter later on found themselves in front of a lame, crippled man for who over 40 years couldn't walk, and through the power of God, they healed this man. This act of kindness opened up another opportunity for them to preach another powerful sermon where the church grew from 3,000 to 5,000. Their evangelistic success caused such an uproar in the city that Peter and John were thrown into prison and they were released to stand trial before the Supreme Court of their day, the Sanhedrin. And in front of the Sanhedrin, they were given a public order not to preach or to teach in the name of Jesus ever again. But Peter and John in a holy boldness said to them, should we obey God or should we obey man? They reminded that Supreme Court that day that there is no other name under heaven and earth that man can be saved except by the name of Jesus. And in holy boldness, they defied that public order. If you missed the sermon last week from Pastor Chad, he preached a powerful sermon on preaching the name of Jesus boldly. And at this point in Acts chapter 4, verse 23, uh, if there is any group of people, if there is any person who could depend on their own experience at this time for their next steps, it would have been Peter 
it would have been John. If there was any person who could independently decide what to do next based off of their own experience, it would have been Peter, it would have been John. If there is any individual who independently could choose their next steps based off of their own education, it would have been Peter or it would have been John. Uh, Don't let their lack of formal education fool you. They had spent over three years with the best seminary teacher who ever walked the face of the planet. But Peter and John had learned a valuable lesson that Henry Cloud put so aptly. In the natural life, we mature as we grow more independent. But in the spiritual life, we grow as we become more dependent upon God. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4, verse 23, And being let go, Peter and John went to their own companions. They went to their own friends. They went to their own small group to decide what to do next. They joined their community of faith and told them what was going on. See, Peter and John, they had developed a very important discipline. The discipline of dependence upon God in community. You know, if this COVID-19 virus for the past year has taught us anything, It's taught us this this valuable lesson that we need one another. That as a community of faith, we need each other not only to survive, but to thrive. You know, before we might have kid ourselves into believing that we only need a community of faith out of convenience, but now I hope you see that we need each other uh, on a deep level of necessity. See, if there is anybody who could independently live their Christian faith, it would have been Peter, it would have been John, but they had developed the discipline of dependence upon God in community. Now, listen, don't get me wrong. There is nothing more important than your personal faith in Jesus Christ. There is nothing more important than you believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins individually. And by believing on his name for yourself, that is the only way to be saved. There is nothing more important than your personal faith in Jesus Christ. But sometimes in our Western society, our deeply personal faith has become an utterly private faith. It's become so private that our kids at home and our spouses and our friends and coworkers outside can't even recognize that we are Christians at all. See, it's so important to be a part of a community of faith because it takes the religious realm in our imagination and it helps us live it out in practical, real life. Imagine with me for a moment that you are a chef in your own personal kitchen and you've taken the sharpest knife in your kitchen and it's time to cut up a salad some vegetables. And so you take some tomatoes and you you cut it up. You take some carrots and, and, and you cut it up, chop, chop, chop away. And then you take an onion and you're not an expert chef. So you cut the onion in a way that it still makes your eyes water. And as you cut the onion rapidly, your eyes begin to water. And then all of a sudden you chop, chop and hope you slip. 
and you chop off your own finger. <laughs> it's gross. I hope it never happens to any of you. My question is, if you cut off your own finger, how long do you think it would last apart from being connected to your hand? I Googled it. Uh, in regular temperature, it could last up to 12 hours. If you refrigerate it just right, it can last up to four days. But eventually, if you don't reattach the finger to the hand, it's going to die. Why am I saying this? Because our faith is like our fingers. If we're not connected to a community of faith, if we're not connected to the body of Christ, we might survive for a month, for a year at tops. But if we don't join back to the community of faith at some point in our life, our faith will die. We need a community of faith. The disciples, they had disciplined themselves to depend on God in community. But the disciples had also disciplined themselves to depend on God in communion. Take a look at our passage. The Bible says that as John and the disciples came together in community, they also, as their first act as a community, decided to commune with God. They decided to pray. And I love how the community of God pray that day because they pray in a way that shows that they had disciplined themselves to depend on God's power in prayer. In verse 24, they say to God, you are Lord. In the Greek, that word signifies a relationship between a servant and a master. They recognize God as their master. They recognize God as the creator of the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. As they pray, they echo a prayer found in Isaiah 37, where King Hezekiah found himself surrounded by an Assyrian army. And in a deep, desperate plea of dependence and prayer, he prayed to God, asking for God to help him against the evil King Sennacherib. And God sent an angel of the Lord to demolish 185,000 soldiers that day as Hezekiah prayed in dependence. The disciples prayed a prayer of dependence upon God. And as they continue in the Bible, in verse 25, they say a, a psalm of David on Psalms 2. And don't miss, please, the the contrast that their prayer gives us between the disciples of Jesus and the rest of the world. There's a contrast here in the scripture as they pray through the scriptures, something that you and I could practice doing a bit more. There's a contrast that they make between the disciples of Jesus and the rest of the world. Because the Bible shows us as the disciples pray, the peoples or nations plot. As the disciples pray, the kings and the rulers gather together to engage in politics. You know, as a pastor, I have a deep concern for the Christian church, not locally necessarily, but nationally, where it seems as if the people of God are depending more upon politics than they are on prayer. 
on a superficial level, yes, you can see it as the people of God seem more interested to debate about politics than they are to talk their faith and pray with one another. You know, not only on a superficial level, but on a deep theological level, the people of God are engaging more on politics in politics than they ever have before. In fact, theologians have discovered statements from the Greco-Roman world that Bible writers have inserted into Scripture. Uh, Pastor Chad mentioned one of them last Sabbath when he said, Caesar is Lord. It was a political statement of the time that the disciples took, put in Scripture and said, no, 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 Jesus is Lord. In the book of Thessalonians, we have another political statement uh, that sounds like peace and safety. It's a political statement in the Greco-Roman time that Paul used in his writings. And so theologians have, have recognized that the Bible writers use political statements, and some people have taken it so far as to say that because the Bible writers use political statements, they were politically motivated. They seem somehow to forget in this whole nuanced talk on politics that Jesus made it abundantly clear as he spoke to Pontius Pilate that his kingdom was not of this world. Now, please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that Christians shouldn't be involved in politics at all. Because if that were the case, then Ellen White would not have been an abolitionist against slavery. Her largest speech wouldn't have been to a crowd during a prohibition talk or a rally. I'm not saying getting involved in politics is wrong because if it was, then Queen Esther would be in the wrong and the prophet Daniel would be in the wrong. What I'm saying is that the people of God have to discipline themselves to depend on God in prayer more than we discipline ourselves to depend on politics. See, even Queen Esther, when the political situation got out of control, do you remember what she did? She prayed and she fasted. Daniel, when he was put in a circumstance, whether he was going to have a good relationship with the current king or not, do you remember what he did? He decided to prioritize his prayer life as he opened his window and prayed as usual. God's people, we have to develop the discipline of dependence on God in prayer. And any time in Christian history, when the church begins to depend on the discipline of, and de any time the Christian church decides to develop the discipline of dependence in politics, any time the Christian church depends on politics, it's because they have lost their dependence upon God in prayer. You see, as the disciples continue to pray, they recognize that Herod and Pontius Pilate and the rest of the nations around them, they had come up with a political plan to put Jesus to death. But what they didn't realize, but the disciples had come to realize, is that the political plans of this world, especially in regards to Jesus' death on the cross, was a part of God's plan all along. In verse 28, they say 
uh, that God has done whatever his hand and his purpose determined to be done beforehand. You see, the disciples had not only learned to discipline themselves to depend on God's power in prayer, but the disciples had learned to discipline themselves to depend on God's plan in prayer. They had realized that there is a plan that God has that they were a part of. And that's why today I've called a dependence a discipline. In life, you will find that it's easy to depend on God's plan for your life when things are good. It's easy to depend on God's plan for your life when you get the dream job, when you get the dream girl, when things work out for your life perfectly. But it's a discipline to depend on God when life isn't going the way you want. It's a discipline to depend on God's plan for your life when your life is a mess. You know, back in 2015, uh, prior to that point in my life, I can tell you I've had a very privileged and almost picture-perfect life. Uh, but one Friday night, my wife was starting to have some stomach pain. And like an a insensitive husband, I said, oh, it's probably gas. Just, just go to sleep. Uh, but she couldn't sleep throughout the entire night. And early Saturday morning, she was in deep pain so that we rushed her into urgent care. But because it was a stomach issue, they pushed us right into the emergency room. And I remember as the doctor came in and did his examinations on Amy, he told us this very exciting and good news. He told us that Amy was pregnant. Oh, and any of you who are parents uh, and have wanted a kid or had a kid, you know the excitement that happens when you find out you're pregnant. It's like your excitement level sh shoots up and it goes right to the moon. But as we heard the good news that Amy was pregnant, we realized where we were. We were in an emergency room and she was in pain. And so a few moments later, the doctor came back and he said uh, that Amy was having an ectopic pregnancy. And what he didn't realize, but we came to realize later, is that her fallopian tube had burst and she had miscarriage so that when she saw her doctor the next day, she was rushed into emergency surgery. And, and fortunately, my wife lived. Uh, and you see us now, you know, we have three kids and we look happy and we are happy. We're very blessed. But my wife has had six pregnancies and we have three kids. She's had six pregnancies and we have three kids. I can tell you that it's easy to depend on God and his plan for your life when things are going perfectly. But when you experience loss, as I know many of you in the congregation have, when you experience pain, as I know many of you over the course of this year have experienced, it's difficult to depend on God and his plan for your life.
It's difficult. It's a discipline. It's a habit that we have to cultivate. It's in moments of pain and loss. It's in moments of tragedy where we have to turn to God and we have to choose to exercise a faith that works. We have to choose to believe that promises in the Bible like Romans 8.28 that, that says all things do work together for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. It's easy to depend on God when things are going perfect, but it's difficult to depend on God when his plan for your life isn't your plan for your life. It's in moments like that where we have to believe what Ellen White says, that if we could see the end from the beginning, and if we could discern the purposes which God is fulfilling in our lives, that if we were to choose our lives and the tragedies we have gone through, we would choose no other life than the life we have lived. You see, the disciples of Jesus had gotten to the point where they did not no longer, they no longer depended on their own selves, but they had matured so much that they, every step of their life, they had learned to depend on Jesus. And you gotta love their prayer this morning because it is a prayer of dependence upon God. Because if you notice throughout the rest of the passage, they don't pray for anything new to happen in their life. They don't pray for God's plan to be changed. They don't pray for protection from their enemies. They don't pray for persecution to end. They don't pray for any changes at all. They simply pray for God to continue doing in their life what he had already done. They pray for God to continue healing. They pray for God to continue to give them boldness to preach. They continue to pray for God to fill them with the Holy Spirit. The disciples had come to the point in their life that they had disciplined themselves to depend on God in community, and they had disciplined themselves to depend on God in communion. They had learned to depend on God's power and not in politics, and they had learned to depend on God's plan for their life. And you know, isn't that what God wants for you and I today? To depend on him more fully, to trust in him more deeply? Isn't that the road that Jesus wants for us to take? You know, it is the path that we are called to because it is the path of Jesus. If you can remember in that garden of Gethsemane before he was crucified, do you remember the discipline he had? He depended on the other disciples to pray with him in community. And as he prayed in that garden so long ago, he disciplined himself to depend on God's power and God's plan. As he said to God, not my will, but your will be done. See, God calls us to the path of Jesus, which is a path to discipline ourselves to depend fully upon God. Because in the natural life, we mature as we grow more independent. But in the spiritual life, in the walk of faith, we grow more dependent, we grow as we become more dependent upon God. 
You know, it is my prayer for you this week that you grow in faith and that you trust Jesus more with everything that is happening in your life. God bless you and thanks for listening.